This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Whether you're just looking to stay warm during a hunt or need maximum concealment, the clothing you wear can make or break a hunt. At MidwayUSA.com, we understand hunting clothing has come a long way with more meticulously crafted camo patterns, advanced scent control technologies, and weatherproof options to withstand the elements. Hunters have to wait until their favorite season, but shouldn't wait on gear, which is why MidwayUSA offers super-fast shipping. When you're ready for your next system, log on to MidwayUSA.com. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. From the nation's capital, this is the Fly Fishing Consultant Podcast with your host, Rob Snow White. Alright, how's everyone doing? It is pretty much the end of summer for me. Today was the first day of 7th grade for my daughter, which makes me not only feel old, but it's crazy how she's soon going to be almost as tall as me. Which also means I've got a little bit of time today to do some recording. So Colton, if you're stuck in traffic on the way to work, you've got something to listen to today. I'm going to talk about boats. More specifically, my life in boats my evolution through boats that I've been on and purchased, uh, what I think about boats, boats I like, boats I don't like, and I'm gonna talk about my new boat that I'm gonna hopefully be going out on in the next couple of days. So let's talk about boats. I'm also gonna talk about the evolution of personal watercraft for fly fishing, as I've seen it since I've been working in fly fishing, which is like 25, 25 years now, just about. Boats are fun. I like boats, not all boats, but when I'm in the boats I like, I'm usually having fun. The weather's gotta be good, but I, I like boats. Boats are cool. Boats get you where you can get to if you are on foot sometimes. They might be able to get you to places that have you know, trespassing, private property, posted marks, places that don't have ramps, 
places that you can't get to because the water gets too deep when you're wading, places between spots of public waters. There's all sorts of reasons to be in a boat, but you want to fish from them if you're listening to this podcast. And I'm going to talk about my life with them. Boats get you just more access to more fishing places and I've learned what boats I like, what boats I don't like, the speeds I like, the speeds I don't like, the smells I like, the smells I don't like. Cool thing about a boat is it holds more gear. If you're going fly fishing for the day, you could be a minimalist or you could bring everything in your house. And sometimes you wanna bring everything in your house and you just don't have room for it. And you have to pick and choose exactly what you can have. And sometimes you gotta leave things behind that you really need. Fast boats are fast and slow boats are slow. I'm not a fan of fast boats. I'll tell you later, I had some crazy experiences working in the Keys after college where we would go out on a flats boat in the pitch black on a moonless night going 40 miles an hour across flats and open water not knowing what's out there. And the guy who's driving the boat had a history of cracking holes from hitting trees, buoys, and just flotsam and detritus in the water. It was not pleasant. I like a slow boat. I don't want to be going super fast where I feel like, you know, when I hit a wave, my spine's going to go through the top of my skull. I don't like sailboats. I've been on a bunch of sailboats before. They freak me out. I don't want to be on a big sailboat. I don't want to be on a little sailboat. Little sailboats are worse than big sailboats. And the reason is there's all sorts of things you got to pay attention to. And they all have weird names to them. And if you're not paying attention, you're going to lose a finger. You're going to get knocked overboard. You're going to get hit in the head. I have seen movies where these things happen. And I know that those things happen in real life. And I do not like sailboats. I don't like the smell when you go inside of a little sailboat downstairs to where there's like a little sink and chairs. It always smells worse than any other type of small boat I've been on. Boats get names. My bike doesn't have a name. My car doesn't have a name. I was cleaning my carport out today. I found three scooters today. They don't have names. I'd like to know who they belong to because we don't own any scooters. But there's three of them in my carport. Uh, basketballs don't get names. Uh, watering cans don't get names. My air fryer doesn't have a name. But boats get names. Boats are so cool that Saturday Night Live even did a digital short about being on a boat. How's that? That's pretty cool, right? Boats are awesome, especially when they're other people's boats. Because when it's your boat, there's so many things you need to worry about. When it's someone else's boat, you don't have to worry about that. And people always have fancy sayings about the best day to get a boat or the last day of owning a boat or the best thing about owning a boat is the day you get rid of it. Every boater has got their own saying. Um, and I don't have one, I just like being on my boats. My boats are pretty darn awesome and I'm proud of them. Each one, I only have one kid, so she has to be my favorite, but each boat's got its own little personality that makes me want to be on a different type of boat, but I've limited it down now. We'll talk about that today. Boats are also dangerous. There was a baseball pitcher in Florida a couple years ago who hit a jetty with a bunch of people, killed them all. Uh, there was that accident in on the Hudson River where like a bunch of kayakers got run over by a boat recently. Uh, a girl I did uh, labs with in college, her brother was like 10 on a boat and got hit by a bunch of drunk teenagers on a party boat in Cape Cod. Boats in the wrong weather can sink. Boats can catch on fire. Boats can be eaten by sharks. And now they're being attacked by orcas. 
What is going on out there, people? Boats can freak people out. If you're on a little floaty thing out in the middle of a vast nothingness except water, you can get a little freaked out. Like if there is a shark that starts attacking it, what are you going to do? Where else are you going to go? But for the most part, boats are more fun. You have to respect them, respect the water, as I mentioned in the quarry podcast, and we're all going to have a good time. And I've done some crazy things in boats. I once went through the tunnel between Gravely Point and Roach's Run in a boat. And my goodness, the amount of spider webs in there was absolutely disgusting. And because I was the first person on the boat, I went through all of them. I have paddled handmade dugout canoes from tree branches in rainforests where the tree branch was no wider than your bum and your cheeks were hanging over the sides. And as you're paddling through these flooded canopies, there are lime green tarantulas dropping in the boat next to you. And it's pretty freaky. And the same trip, we took out dugout canoes that were 60 something feet long made from a single tree hull. It was crazy that 20 people can sit in a boat made from one tree. I have been on a tour boat going between islands on the equator. And one of the coolest things you'll ever see is that old fashioned night sky where it's just pitch black and you're the only ones there. I really have not seen anything like that in a long time and I want to. I canoed my way one day through mangroves from the Florida Keys looking for bonefish. And the next day I was probably out on Jared Merton's sea kayak sitting on the back because it was a one person sea kayak. And we're going through the mangroves trying to find flats looking for tarpon. Not the most fun thing to do is dangling on the back of someone else's sea kayak while you're going through mangroves. I once took a Zodiac around the north shore of the Nepali coast of Kauai and was able to go to beaches that you can't access any other way except for boats. And you may remember this story and there's going to be a lot of you may remember when's because I've done a bunch of podcasts with a lot of storytelling. Right, Colton? That's right. So a lot of storytelling. I told the story how you always take your fishing gear wherever you go, no matter what. And the boat captain that morning said, my Zodiac will not have room for your fishing gear and there's no fish to catch where we're going. And I was naive and I listened to him and I left my four piece rod and sling pack shoulder bag in the car. And we get to the lunch spot and it's where every tour boat docks up for the day, drops anchor, connects to buoys and everyone hand feeds the fish and the fish expect it. And I could have caught 30 to 40 pound jet black trigger fish on top water bugs if I had brought them. But no, the guy told me to leave them behind. That was also the day there was a naked man on the boat the entire day. It was just weird. That stuff does not happen here in Northern Virginia. Uh, but in Hawaii, I, I've seen a lot of naked people. I wasn't looking for them. They just appear. My brother and I were on vacation with my dad in the summer of 85 in Florida. Went to visit my grandparents. And we were on a little swamp buggy thing going through the Everglades. And my brother reached his hand out to a bird. And the bird bit him. And I thought it was hilarious. I still laugh at him about that time that bird bit him. Even though I'm the one that gets bit by most animals these days. We saw some crazy alligators and crazy fish, and I would love to get back to wherever that was in the middle of freaking nowhere that my dad took us to. We took the auto train down, and they had to drive across the Everglades to get another train to come back home, and we were in the middle of absolute nowhere. When you watch Ace Ventura, and there's those scenes in the middle of the Everglades in the middle of nowhere, that's what I remember it looked like. And all I wanted to do was fish, and I was 
You know what? That was spring break uh, 1985. So I was eight years old. And still, all I wanted to do was fish those waters we were driving past. Uh, I got to fish out of Flip Pallet's first design flats boat once. That was pretty cool. I once drank Cuban rum on a Norwegian destroyer ship in the port of Baltimore. Who gets to do that? And then there was one time I went tubing on the James River. Inner tube's a type of boat, right? And I was fishing, but everyone else on the trip was in the music industry. and They were all inebriated and under the influence of several narcotics. And it was during a drought. So imagine a group of 60 people having to drag their inner tubes down river where your butt is just touching the gravel bottom all day. It took three hours extra to get out of the river that day because there was no flow. It's kind of like what's going on now. We were down at Kelly's Ford yesterday on the Rappahannock, and I only brought one weight with me because I knew the water's so low that anything that I was going to catch, I'd be able to handle on one weight. People were taking their kayaks and canoes down the ramp, and it was a three-foot drop from the slide to the actual water, which was stagnant. And then they had to take their floaty boats and drag them across islands and just down river. And they would go all the way down river about a quarter mile and then turn out of sight. And they still hadn't put their boats in. That's how low the water is here right now. We've had a couple of rainstorms. We had the worst predicted thunderstorm in 10 years last Monday and it didn't really do much. It knocked my TV over outside and moved a sofa with the wind. But we have not had a single slow rainy day all summer long. We'll get a couple of inches in a downpour in an hour and then it's gone. So everything is just hurting for water right now. I once went on a fast pontoon boat in Pennsylvania. I didn't know pontoon boats did speeds like that because where I grew up in Reston, the pontoon boats are electric only. So you have just uh, like a Minn Kota trolling motor. I had never been on a fast pontoon boat before. That was really weird. One time I got to go to my friend's grandfather's 70th birthday party and the huge boat left from DC. I don't know where it went because it was super long time ago. And John Denver played a concert there and that was pretty cool. I got to see that. And the same ships, I think they were the same. I've been on bar mitzvahs before and also a cruise in college before we graduated. And those were the like the cruise ships out of, they just go up and down the Potomac River and you can have like weddings, bar mitzvahs and parties on them. One time we were fishing the Kent Narrows at night on the Chesapeake Bay. Stone, if you're listening, this was you. And I had a shad thrown at me from another canoe. If you never heard the sound of a two or three pound shad hitting the side of a 30 year old aluminum canoe in the middle of the night it's extremely frightening especially if you're the one in the canoe that is being targeted i was also out there once fishing on one of the boats i'll mention later and somebody threw a firecracker at me while i'm on the boat and it exploded and i dropped my six weight in the chesapeake bay and it started to sink and luckily i stuck my arm in and grabbed it and everyone was giggling and hooting and hollering while I'm in my boat trying to pull this rod out, it's probably November, mind you, and they're still lighting firecrackers and trying to throw them at me. Not cool. Um, I floated for steelhead once in single temperatures where the anchor line freezes, and I'm not doing that again. I'm more of a warm weather floating guy today. And those are just some of my weird stories from being out in boats, like the time I went to Colorado and I was sight casting a carp from a boat. Never done that before. It's always better when someone is pulling or pushing or rowing you around, but it's pretty fun anytime you're going to be out on a boat. So I'm not really going to complain unless I'm out on a boat and there's really choppy seas and people are getting sick because I can get seasick kind of easily. And in college, we used to go down to Moorhead City, North Carolina to do fish collections for my ichthyology labs school collection. 
and we would always go out on like the worst days when these storms would come in and the professor would always want us to go out to this diner first thing before we get on the boat and everybody would just be chundering biscuits and gravy steak and eggs and grits all over the boat it was horrible it was like that scene out of stand by me and i'm reading the book right now called the body i suggested it's an easy read but it was like the bar for rama but on a boat in tossing waves where there's sharks and sea urchins sliding across the boat deck in these turbulent waters it was not fun what else can i say about boats that i've been on yeah there's probably a couple more but I, i've been on boats here and there and i've owned some boats here and there and i've found some boats so what i'm going to talk about right now is my life fishing out of boats and recreating out of boats and i'm going to talk about what i'm looking for in a boat and as the list goes on there's gonna be more like ding 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 dings as we hit the amenities of these boats what i want in a fishing boat is i want to be comfortable when i'm fishing out of the boat standing or sitting i want storage for my gear because i tend to be the guy who brings too much i want it easy to fish out of i want it to be durable i want it to last a boat is going to go in conditions and it's going to bump into things and who knows what i want it to be durable i will tell you that aluminum drift boats do not hold up to being hit at 80 miles an hour mark that down colton and i want to have transportation ease in in the car out of the car on the car uh walking it down from your house to the, the water what what have you i want to be able to easy in easy out uh price is another thing you can go the most expensive you can go the least you can buy used you can buy new or you can make it yourself so i'm going to talk about my life with boats what i've owned been given found bought upgraded and destroyed I grew up in Reston, Virginia. It's a planned community, a couple miles west of Washington, D.C., just outside the Beltway, known for its man-made lakes, its Ebola virus, the Bunny Man, and Virginia Gentleman Bourbon, and basically the start of the internet. You can say it started in California, but Silicon Valley East was Reston, Virginia. So I grew up on this lake, Lake Audubon. It was artificial. It was made in... I don't like oh, a little over 100 years ago maybe and it had a nudist colony on it it's where a guy chopped up his family in a bunny costume the legend of the bunny man for us started not not my girlfriend where she's from the clifton bunny man at bunny man bridge that, that's not real so the true bunny man was from reston you may have seen donnie darko and pretty much that's us so let's get talking about fishing out of boats and we moved right onto the lake in labor day of 1984 going into second grade and we had nothing to do after school except smash liquor and beer bottles at the construction sites or hang out at the lake because there was nothing else around us. We didn't have TV. We had, you know, five or six of us in elementary school and construction sites completely covered with beer and liquor bottles. I think my neighbor Justin and I had a smashed up pile about three feet deep where every day we would just go smash bottles in the same spot. There were always teenagers out on the lake and they would be smoking drinking swimming whatever and they would make boats out of things they would salvage from the construction sites all around us because reston was just this was the beginning of phase two my parents moved in phase one i was phase two of reston and this was going into phase three-ish in the 80s and 
you had a lot of construction and it was around the lake. So you could get styrofoam, boxes, jugs, bottles, wood, any kind of construction tools you wanted. And people would just build boats and based on the wind, it would just float around the lake. And if you were down at the dock one afternoon and one of these things showed up, everybody would jump in and go swimming off of it and play king of the mountain. And you really couldn't fish off of them, but that was my first experience really ever playing on a boat. And it was awesome. And back then the lake was crystal clear. You could see down 15 feet. You could see all the the plants and bugs and fish down there. And now on a good day, you're lucky to see like three to four inches. There was a algae bloom a couple weeks ago and it was like fishing in pea soup. Your dry fly would land and just sit on top of the scum. It was nasty. And then we had a massive thunderstorm. It was not the one that was predicted to be the worst storm in 10 years. It was just a massive thunderstorm and it flushed all the water out of there. So now it's the summer of 1985 and I'm starting to become that obnoxious child I used to talk to you about, which my daughters inherited 100% of those genes from me. And I was sent to camp. So I'd been going to rest and day camp for years and now I'm starting to go from a month of rest and day camp to a month of sleepaway camp in the Poconos and get more exposure to paddle boats and canoes. Maybe kayaks, kayaking really wasn't a thing back then. So both camps, rest and day camp, spent a couple hours a week out on canoes on Lake Ann and Reston. My girlfriend just played a show there. And when you say, oh yeah, Caitlin's playing a show at Lake Ann Coffee House in Reston, they reply with, oh, she's playing at Lake Anna on the way near Richmond? No, I said Lake Ann in Reston. Oh, oh yeah, so she's playing down there at the... She's playing down there at the, the tiki bar or something down there at the Lake uh, Lake Anna. I don't know what point Lake Ann and Lake Anna get confused between people's left and right ears, but I try to enunciate a whole lot when I do these things. And I'm gonna pause right now because the kid who used to call me during the pandemic is calling. Let's see if he answers. We're gonna put him on. Was it your first day of school? You're on the air on my podcast. You're for real, man. Introduce yourself. Uh, hi, guys. My name is Brayden. Brayden, where do you live? Um, I live in I live in Virginia. And what grade did you start today? I I started eighth grade. Right on, man. Mm-hmm. You've been out fishing the last summer. Um, not really, cause we've been we've been busy. Okay. Do you go on vacation somewhere cool? in a couple weeks. So. Well, send me your address. I'll send you some flies. For real? For real. All right. Can you text me, can you text me first and I'll text you my number? I'll Where do my Yeah, man. I'll get you them. All right. But how have you been? Not too bad, man. The fishing's been hard. The water's low and my kid has been driving me crazy. It's so dry. We tried to do Kelly's Ford yesterday down in the Rappahannock, but there was no water. Um, probably going to stick more to stuff in the tidal sections, like downtown Fredericksburg or D.C., Occoquan. Yeah. Because even if the water's low without rain, the tidal water will still have the same height to it. Yeah. yeah. We, should all, we should all go fishing one day. I'm telling you, man. We'll have a good time. 
Yeah. You have a boat? I do. I, I just got a new one, but I've got uh, I've got the drift boat with the outboard. I've got some inflatable boats as well. So yeah, we can take the boat out. What is an what is an inflatable boat? Like you, you pump it up. It's full of air. Oh, inflatable boat. Inflatable boat. Hold on. Oh, those. Those little, like those little kayak kind of things? Something like that. Yeah, we have one. Yeah. There's there's lakes up here we can go out at. Yeah. This is my this is my second week of school. Oh, that's horrible. They start school way too early now, don't they? Mm-hmm. But, right. Yeah. I was just I, I was looking around and I was like, my dude, fly fishing. That's right. <laughs> but alright, I'll let you go. Uh all right, man. I'll um I'll text you in like an hour or so. All right, that's fine. All right, dude. Take it easy. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> oh I can't believe you all just got to experience this. So during the pandemic, this kid would just start calling me like every day at two o'clock just to talk about fishing, and I would talk to him for like a full year or so, and then he like dropped off the face of the earth, and he just called me back live while we were recording. I don't remember what I was talking about. Um, go back to my notes. Wow, so yeah, I was at camp and we had canoes. So resident day camp, you didn't really learn much skill from them, but I always wanted to fish out of them knowing that I could sit up high and kind of paddle into these little coves and there were docks to throw lures under and we would fish worms from the docks on the lake with camp, but we never got to fish from the canoes. It was years before I actually got to fish out of a boat. And I don't know if that's part of the story or not, but we'll talk about it. So at some point between me learning to canoe at camp and growing up on this lake where uh, we had free boats that would show up every once in a while, my dad decided to buy himself an inflatable raft. It looks like something that you would have won if you sent in enough box tops with. It had white oars, aluminum, or like white blades on them silver aluminum oars and it was like this gray raft and you would put like four people in it you would pump it up by the foot and we would take it down to the lake and just kind of row around i don't know if we fished out of it or not but i distinctly remember walking it down there and after school we would grab it my brother's friends were bigger than me so they did all the work and remember 87 steps from my parents house to the lake the tidal potomac fly rodders ran a contest who could catch a fish closest to the front door I don't know if I won, but it was 84 steps. That's how far the, the Thrush Ridge dock. And we would go on that. And the boat would either be inflated just in the garage during the summertime and then deflated in the winter to it eventually just ended up hanging underneath one of the decks, dangling, collecting mud and pollen and who knows what kind of spider webs and creepy crawlies. So that boat, by the time I was probably 12, was done with. At some point, we got pellet guns, and my neighbor Mike decided to. It was the biggest thing he could shoot at that he wouldn't get in too much trouble from because it was by then just a trash boat hanging. So he just shot it up one day. That was the excuse to finally throw it in the garbage. And then one day, Mike and I are out. I don't know if we were going to a friend's house, cutting through the woods, or we had fishing gear and we were trying to cut somewhere along the dam between Lake Throw and Lake Audubon. 
that's South Lakes Drive for you lay people that don't live there or never been to Reston. And as we're walking through these woods, which is all condos and trails now, we found a canoe probably about 40 or 50 feet from the water's edge. And it probably had been there since last season. It was full of spider webs, cobwebs, bird poo, leaves, branches. It definitely looked abandoned and unused for a very long time. So we dragged it down to the lake and we flipped it over, sunk it, rinsed it out, and then jumped in it and used our hands to paddle back home to one of the docks. And we pulled it out, ran home, grabbed all of our scrubbing stuff, cleaning supplies, and a roll of duct tape to put it back together. It only had wooden seat frames. There was no wicker in between them. So we wrapped those with duct tape and had seats. The side of the boat was mohawk, but the hawk fell off, so it was just mo. And it was a red boat with a wood gunnel on it. And it was beautiful. It was our first boat. And I'm reading Stand By Me right now, and there's this line, and it's in the movie, about, did you ever have friends like you did when you were 12? He's like, damn, no one ever does. And, and that's what Mike and I did. We would go out every night after dinner, we'd meet down at the dock, and we would unchain our canoe from a tree and go out fishing as the sun was down behind the trees, it was cool, the water was glass, and we would crush largemouth. Pontoon boats, docks, maybe a fallen tree or two if you could find one always had some huge largemouth and our fishing tackle was basic is what you could buy at Woolworth at the mall or if you could ride your bike to Kmart in Herndon and some beater rods we basically fished like a June bug colored worm on a Texas rig with a bullet split shot and that was all we ever fished and we crushed it we would shuttle friends back and forth from dock to dock across the lake but it was pretty cool we had so much fun there was a set of willow trees that kids would climb up on top of and jump out of. So we would take them across the lake to the weeping willow trees and they would climb up them and jump out. I never liked fishing in the willows because you always got covered in spiders, but it was always good structure and it was deep enough in a man-made lake that they could climb a tree and jump off. Reston was pretty wild as a kid. So that was my experience uh, going into like seventh grade where, where my daughter is, was canoes and paddle boards, my dad's raft, which we took out and then at one point this may have been when we were really young my neighbor justin and i found a sunfish brand two-person catamaran something in a garbage can along glade drive and we got his red wagon and brought it down to the lake and set it up with no knowledge of how to row and we got in and it basically i don't even know if we ever got the sails up but we blew across the lake and ended up, you know, maybe a mile away from the boat ramp and ended up having to jump in and swim the whole thing back. And we just left it in the closest garbage can or dumpster we could find. We don't know why somebody threw it out. It obviously worked if you had the knowledge, but we didn't. That was another crazy memory out on that lake as kids. So now I'm at Camp Harlem. I'm like a teenager. And I went to this camp in the Poconos from 85 to 92. And the second to my last year, so this is going into freshman year of high school, the people who ran the camp, the counselors, sort of noticed I really enjoyed the time canoeing and being on the lake. And they started putting a plan together to do a canoe trip. So they selected a couple of us of all ages to do a float, but we had to learn really how to use a canoe first. And we were going to get like graded on it and passing it kind of like you would pass a swim test. 
and they chose these Israeli special forces guys who somehow were experts at canoeing. I don't know if because they were also Israeli scouts or if the special forces uses canoes, but his name was Egal and he knew everything there was to know about canoes and boating. And I would listen to every word that came out of his mouth. It was him and a counselor in training named Leslie. And all of us would get together every day after lunch when you were supposed to go back to your bunk and chill and read for an hour. We used that to learn, learn canoeing skills. So you had to learn how to canoe forwards, backwards, turn your canoe in a circle, move your canoe laterally, um, how to like lift canoes up and out of the water properly, safety, how to you know like look for people underwater, how to pull someone out of the water um, if they're unconscious. So it wasn't just canoeing, it was also you know when things go wrong when you're canoeing. But one of the craziest things they taught us was how to unswamp a canoe when you're out in open water. And you have to have two canoes. One is regular and floating and one is swamped. And you put them perpendicular to each other. So the floating canoe is going to be the top part of the T and the sunk canoe is the lengthy vertical part. And you have to pop the air pocket under the sunk canoe by pushing down on the bow and that puts the stern up on the edge of the floating canoe. So now you have an actual T and you push the floating canoe now up and over, turn it upright and it can go back in the water dry. So we were graded on all these things and then they said, all right, we're gonna put this to the test. We're gonna go spend a whole day on the Delaware River. I didn't know what the Delaware River was. I had no idea where I was in the Poconos to begin with, but I knew we drove east. And after two plus weeks of one to two hours a day of canoe work, covered in bruises, scratches, cuts, we went on this trip. It was a six hour float down the Delaware River. We started in the morning. There were dudes fly fishing in that cool morning mist and I fell in love with it. I thought it was the coolest river I'd ever been on in my life. Now, I really had only been on the Rappahannock, maybe the Potomac at the time and some other things, the Shenandoah, but nothing like this before where the water's crystal clear. You can see fish, fish for jumping, fish are biting, but you can only see like a hundred yards and then the fog burns off and you start seeing the herons and the eagles and all the water grasses. It was I was 14 years old and it was one of the coolest days of my life at that point, like hands down. And I always wanted to go back there and I still haven't been back to the Delaware and I, I've never repeated it. And I brought all those canoe skills home and we still fished out of that canoe for another year or two into high school. And then one day I went down into the dock and the tree was there and the chain was gone and the canoe was gone and we never saw the mo again but it was a fun boat for the couple years we had it and at that point a canoe to me was the epitome of a fishing craft you could row put your oar down on your knees cast a couple times and by now i'm fly fishing so we got a spinning rod and a fly rod both in the canoe and just different methods and ways to catch fish skip ahead a couple years and I go through college, did a bunch of canoe floats down the Rappahannock in college. None of them were really fishing. It was mostly recreational, but still, man, I love canoes. And then I start working in a fly shop and I'm living in my parents' basement. I'm about to move out. And this guy comes into the shop one day with this float tube and he's all irate. I'm like, what's wrong with it? Does it float? Yeah, absolutely it floats. Are you catching fish out of it? God damn, I'm, I'm, I'm catching fish everywhere. What's the problem? the colors faded in the sun while I was fishing. Like, uh, so the boat's completely fine. 
It's just the fabric has faded in the sun from all the sun exposure it's received. Yeah. Well, the manager couldn't argue with that. Keep a customer happy. He gave him a new float tube. And we have this old float tube in the back. It's perfectly fine, except the fabric is a little bit gone from its original like bright blues and orange. It's like faded Florida Miami Dolphins colors now. So I'm looking at it and the manager's like, well, I don't want to have to ship this thing back. It's all weird and full of like PVC pipes and pontoons and stuff. And I said, I'll buy it. And he says, how much? I said, 70 bucks. He goes, all right, go put it in your car. So I bought this float tube for 70 bucks and we started fishing it. We'd fish it all around Lake Audubon and it was cool, except you got toe and, and calf cramps from kicking around all day. If you were lucky, your feet would be down by a thermocline in the colder water. But as my first personal fishing craft that I've owned now is like a grown up at adult at like 20 something, I could take it anywhere. It fit in the back of my two door Honda Civic, which was a super tiny Civic at the time. And I could take it, inflate it with a pump and just walk in at the boat ramp. And it was great. We would sit in front of docks and throw little Mr. Bob's lucky day poppers and catch these, you know, one and a half pound pumpkin seeds left and right. And then I started working at the Mountain Lake Lodge that, as you may know, was destroyed by fire, arson in June of 2003. That was 20 years ago. And we would take clients out on those. And we never caught any of the trout in there, but we would catch monster absolutely disgusting monster largemouth in these boats and the problem was i would get calf and toe cramps kicking myself around all day so i thought man there's got to be a better option than this so um, i keep it in my parents garage you know for a year or two and, and after the second winter the mice had decided to nest in it so i couldn't use it anymore they chewed holes in it and i can't bring it back to the store and be like hey man mouse ate a hole in this give me new boat there that's not gonna fly Excuse me while I have a little bit of my Arnold Palmer here. It's like 92 degrees out right now with no rain in sight. That's why I'm recording inside and not out back today. So where are we in my evolution of boats? I now have gone to the Florida Keys to work for the winter. And I'm exposed to flat skiffs and a 27-foot Seacraft open water boat. And I'm the lowest rung in the store on the totem but I get to go fishing on these boats and this is where I learn how to and how not to have boats um, when you're bone fishing you don't urinate off the side of the boat into the flat don't get your urine all over the boat and then just drop cigar ashes all over it so it makes a paste that I have to clean up don't bring glass coffee pots on flats boats in the middle of the night don't go 40 miles an hour through the mangroves in the pitch black at night um, what else can I say? Don't hit trees on flats boats in the middle of the night. Uh, have furniture in your house. You know, Ralph had me go down to the pool at the condo building. And when we watched TV, we were in lawn furniture. The TV was on top of the foot pedestal from a flats boat. Uh, there was no mop when I had to, I lived there for free. So I had to mop using a towel and just the whole floor. And the only thing I ever had to eat, it was always orange food. It was mac and cheese and orange Gatorade was the only thing in stock in metrics bars. It was one of the weirdest living experiences I had ever encountered. But we had a flats boat and we would go out all the time, but he was a crazy man. He didn't think snook were fly rod worthy. There was one time these houndfish were chasing bait. It looked like torpedoes shooting out all over the water. And he wouldn't let me throw a fly at him because again, these fish weren't fly rod worthy. 
And just through chaos, I never really got to experience hooking and catching fish down there. My only tarpons that I ever hooked were at four in the morning in bioluminescent water in these canals. And as soon as your fly landed, it would splat and light up. And then you'd see the tarpon grab it and go under. And then oh, it was nuts. But of course, we never landed anything because he was crazy. He wouldn't let me tie my own leaders. All of his leaders broke. Don't even get me started on losing that bonefish. So now I'm in the Florida Keys and I get my first taste at like saltwater boats and open ocean. And while I'm down there, the Umqua fly reps got a canoe on his Jeep and the kid who works down there has got a sea kayak in his Jeep. So we start going fishing together and that's where I experienced those things in the Keys. And it was awesome. And then I come back up here and the fly shop accepts me back and kind of done with saltwater. I start becoming a trout bum now and I want to start doing more trout and more mountain fishing because I'm not getting back to the ocean any in the Keys anytime soon. So I end up getting this new boat in the Orvis catalog. It's a water skeeter, single personal pontoon with a chair and frame and oars and foot pedestals and these zipper bags you can store your gear and it's like $400 and I'm like, boom, I'm going to buy it and I live in a condo now. Where am I going to store it? So eventually I start taking it out. I, I fish you know, like Audubon and Reston and it's a hassle to put together. Um, never really enjoyed fishing out of it. It was sort of the vertical seat of a canoe, but you just kind of blew around in circles too much. And then I took it down the Capon River in West Virginia, which was fun, but the ore fell out and drifted away down river. And it took eight months to get a replacement ore. This was 20 something years ago, probably. So I've got this boat and now I've got a job offer to work in Colorado between my teaching, I'm, I left one high school and we started another. I got the summer off. I go to work for Breckenridge Outfitters. And this boat, I start taking out to Spinney Mountain Reservoir and it's just a hassle to put together. It is taking me way too much time uh, putting it together, inflating it, clicking things. It's starting to rust. I'm not hooking fish out there. It just became a nuisance, a schlep, uh, a pain in my butt, a hemorrhoid. So I ended up getting rid of that and getting, uh, you know, sell that and get money to do who knows what. And I go boatless for a couple years. And I'm at my new school teaching. It's winter time, and for some reason I go on Craigslist and I'm just, I, I don't know if I typed the word canoe or if a canoe came up, but it's December and it's sleeting outside and there's a canoe for sale for like $130 and it's only. 12 miles away. So I go and check it out. They're packing up their car. They are moving that night to Chicago. And they had the option of selling their canoe, using it for gas money, or taking a canoe with them to Chicago that they didn't want to schlep. So they just put it up right as I was on there, drove over. For 130 bucks, I get a Dick's brand outdoor canoe, Dick's Sporting Goods, uh, oars, multiple oars, multiple life jackets, multiple tie-down straps, multiple foam blocks to put on my car, um, like anchor ropes and pulleys, and I've got everything for canoeing, but it's December. So I gotta go throw that at my parents' house and wait till spring. Spring and summer come around, and I start schlepping this canoe all over the place. I'm fishing the lake, I'm fishing the Potomac. I even took it out once to a bay somewhere on the eastern side of the Potomac in Maryland because I was a young, strong dude, and I could throw it on top of my SUV that I had now. And I'm fishing that for a couple years, and it's really cool. But for some reason, I get the idea that I want to fish out of a kayak now. And I don't know why I want to fish out of a kayak. I think because a sit-on-top kayak might be more stable, and 
if you said sit on top kayak in 2009, people would have looked at you like you were crazy. I don't remember people having so many personal watercrafts in their backyards and on the roof racks of their cars back then, but now it's everywhere. So I've got this itch to get a kayak. And I think it was because we went to Ocean City and I just saw a dude riding waves. And I said, that looks like fun. So I go on Craigslist and I find the cheapest kayak with no research possible. And it's outside Frederick, Maryland. And I just happen to be going up that way to fish Big Hunting Creek that Saturday. So I buy this kayak. It's an orange ocean kayak sit on top. And again, it comes with everything. The roof mold things so you don't scratch your car. The straps, anchors, oars, life jackets, scupper stoppers. And it's cool. It's lighter than my canoe. I think this has replaced that water skeeter for me. This has replaced the, the little inflatable. I got a smaller boat now that I can put on top and off my car super easily. I think by now I may have had a back injury and it was harder to lift the canoe. And this thing is awesome. Until I go to put it in the ocean for the first time and it doesn't go as well as planned and a wave pushes it back and it hits me in the shins. Imagine a Yeti cooler just slamming into your shins as hard as possible. And I still have bruises on my shin. I mean, it busted me down to the bone. I couldn't walk for hours. This was the same day that I caught that seagull on a crease fly and landed it on the beach. I don't know if I've told that story. Okay, I'll tell it now. Colton, check this out. So you can't put a kayak in an Ocean City until the lifeguards are gone. So I'm waiting all day with my kayak gear there. And I decide, all right, people are clearing out at three something. I'm gonna start throwing some crease flies out, you know, past the breakers. So I get my eight weight out and time to crease fly. Third or fourth cast, this disgusting, dirty brown seagull just comes down and grabs the crease fly, grabs it, gets hooked. It's barbless, but it's flying away. So what are you going to do? You got to fight the seagull and bring it in. There's probably a half dozen, dozen people just standing there on the beach, just watching me land this seagull. Of course, then there would have been videos and it would have gone viral, but I landed it and it was just one of the craziest things I've ever, and I don't know if I've ever fished a crease fly since. Maybe I only catch seagulls on them. So then I go to put the kayak in, bust my shins. Um, I may have been going on the Ocean City Bay that trip too. I remember going there once and I remember doing the striper tournament in Assateague. That was the, the weekend that everyone got kicked out of bars. And my friend Mike, who wore his waders to dinner, ordered all you could eat stone crab claws. And Colton, if you're still listening, this is crazy, man. So Mike orders stone crab legs and, and he confirms that it's all you can eat. And the woman's like, yeah, just eat them and I'll bring you another tray. He opens up his waders. He's got his waiter belt on. He dumps an entire tray of stone crab claws into his waders, hands her the tray and says, I'll take another round. And he eats you know, another tray or two. And then two hours later, we're at the second bar that we're going to get kicked out of. And it wasn't because of this, but we're sitting down. He orders a long neck Budweiser pulls a stone crab out of his waders and starts crushing it against the bar with the beer bottle bottom and eating it. I, I've seen some weird things before, but that was in the podcast about crazy stories. Crazy stuff. One of the most brilliant people you'll ever meet. He, um, he was a strange dude. So I, I took the ocean kayak out a couple times. I never liked the way that the roof straps would always whistle when I was driving. That annoyed me. And then... It just sat 
in a storage unit for years. You know, I would take it out once or twice, but most of my weekends were like DC United and, and cheesemongering by now. And, and I wasn't going out as much. So I have the canoe at mom and dad's. I got the kayak there. I'm no longer fishing a water skeeter. I'm no longer fishing the, uh, this little sit-in belly boat. Now you may want to have a water skeeter or sit-in belly boat, just not my jam. At some point I decide uh, I'm going to quit my corporate life. I'm going to do a Groupon. So I sell 1,353 Groupons and I'm doing four to five two-hour trips a day. And I'm getting really tired of standing at the same boat ramp or cove, what have you, for eight hours a day. So I want to buy a boat now. I can't take them out on my canoe if it's a group of two. gives a Groupon. So if one person showed up, we would do the canoe. If two people showed up, there was that one time I did have a guy tethered to the canoe in the kayak and he turned out to be the one that was drinking the Starbucks cup of vodka all day. So uh, he got very badly sunburnt, caught a couple of fish and probably felt horrible that night. So what am I going to do? You know, for the last 14 months, I've been nagging Fletcher's Cove to sell me one of their aluminum drift boats. They have an AlumaWeld fleet of boats that they ordered from out west that they want to rent out with the red and white iconic boats during the Shad Run. For some reason, they're not allowed to take them out. So they're in the parking lot. And before I left corporate life, I didn't think I was ever having kids. So I said, hey, I'm going to buy myself a boat and go fishing if I don't have to pay for college. And they're like, no, we're not selling them. Yeah, Three months later, no, we're not selling them. I show up at the gym range casting call. No, we're not going to sell them. Like three months into my Groupons, hey, you want to buy a drift boat? They tell me how much. I show up with a cash check, cashier's check, whatever, for the money. I get to pick out my drift boat. I pick out the nicest one. First time I've ever trailered a boat behind a car, connect it, and drive home. It's one of the scariest car drives I've ever done. The second scariest was when a drift boat fell off of a trailer hitch while I was driving. So now I've got this aluminum drift boat. I keep it parked on the shoulder in Annandale because I live in a condo. I fish out of it for a couple of years. It's pretty cool. You can hit rocks. You can bounce off things. You can go up and down a boat ramp. Nothing is going to destroy this boat. And then one night, some 25-year-old chick in Northern Virginia and her dad's Lexus has a couple to cosmos and gets behind the wheel and decides to go 65 miles an hour on a 25 mile an hour really narrow road and she ends up hitting a car six cars behind my boat and the car she hit hits the car in front of that and so on and so forth until my trailer gets hit and moves my boat and trailer 80 feet uphill over and down and up a ditch onto a sidewalk when the police call me and tell me i need to move my boat because i parked it on the sidewalk and i was thoroughly confused until the third time they told me I need to get my boat and I said how is it there and they said it was involved in an accident I show up four cars have already been towed there are two cars there with broken axles there are windshields and fenders bumpers and brake light covers it looked like a, a tornado or, or a bomb had gone off only there and my boat was bent you can't fish out of a bent aluma weld so you know I had been to the fly fishing show and Somerset that winter before I met Mike Batke and I said dude if I ever need another drift boat why would I ever need another drift boat I want to get one of your stealth crafts so I call up Mike and we start building my stealth craft and I've got this beautiful 16 foot ATB stealth craft drift boat in my driveway right now and it's incredible I went from canoe and kayak to having more space than I ever would need 
I've got a trolling motor if I want. I've got an outboard if I want. I've got oars when I need them. I've got casting platforms, storage hatches. It's got lights inside of it. It's got lights on the outside of it. It is the coolest drift boat and most functional hard drift boat you are going to come across. It does fine in the wind because it's not too big. I've slept in it before. Uh, it does great. I, I love it. I just don't want to go down a rocky river again in it because it's, you know, it's, it's like my other child. I don't want to ding it up too much. I don't yell at it like I yell at my kid because my kid doesn't, I'm sorry, the boat doesn't torment me like the kid torments me. So now I've got this drift boat and, and we're guiding out of it. We're fishing out of it. We're doing the snakehead tournament out of it. How cool is it now to fish a snakehead tournament that goes overnight to have a boat with headlights in it? Except I lived in a condo. Where am I going to charge my boat battery? So the boat battery died about an hour after sunset. And that's another podcast from 2011. No, 2014 that you want to listen to. Sorry, 2014. That was the last snakehead tournament we ever did. So I've got this awesome boat, but the problem is I can't always get it where, where I want to go. Like Roaches run, there's no boat ramp. Uh, Fletcher's Cove, you can't bring trailers. Lake Ann and Reston, you, you got no boat ramp. And there's a couple other places I just want to fish that you can't access, and there's not a lot of boat ramps in the DC metro area. You got to go an hour west to the Shenandoah. And I'm still hesitant to take it out there because I haven't floated it before between two ramps, so I don't know what the rocks are going to be like. And right now it's really low. So I've got this boat and it's awesome. I still got the canoe back there. Um, I sold the kayak, in fact, to pay for the Derek DeYoung brown trout skin on the drift boat. And I got the same amount of money I paid for that kayak as what I bought for it. My parents were moving. I think I had to get rid of the kayak too. Um, then comes the divorce and I think I'm moving out. Like I got to literally put all my clothes and belongings in my boat, cover the boat and go to my dad's house. What am I doing? What am I going to do with the canoe now? My dad lives in a condo. So I straight up sold the canoe right at the beginning of 2021 when the marriage ended. And uh, I don't have a canoe. But during the pandemic, I decided one day I'm going to go out fishing on, you know, during the, the pandemic getaway. I'm going to go check out Lock 5. Back when I worked at Orvis in the 90s, Lock 5 on the Potomac was the spot to go wet waiting for smallmouth, largemouth, and, and huge catfish. So I go out there. I've got my TFO bass rod, and my popper gets caught on a rock. And I do a couple pop pops to get it loose. And I always say, I say with my clients, there's no rod worth breaking a flyover. I didn't, that didn't sound right, did it? There is no rod worth breaking over a fly. Right, the fly would take me three minutes to tie and I've got a broken eight weight still sitting in my carport ready to get repaired. So what am I gonna do? I'm, I'm trying to get away from everyone. I got hours to spend, my kids at camp or something. So I start walking up and down the river just to see how far I can get. I've never been able to walk all the way up to Little Falls to fish. But I'm walking up that way and this is between the Sino Canal and the river. There's nothing there. And I find a cherry red kayak sitting up in the trees. And then eventually I found a paddle about 50 feet away. And based on my life on the water, you can tell where a high tide and flood stops and then recedes where all the little sticks and bottle caps, tampon dispensers, uh, Sharpie caps and other plastic items are always on display on the river. And sure enough, that's where this kayak was. So I determined it floated down river in a flood and here it is. 
So I drag it and the, the paddle back to my car. And I've got a kayak now, but it's a sit-in kayak and I don't want one of these. So I'm gonna sell it. I did sell it for like 550 bucks on Facebook Marketplace. It had no name, it had no phone number, so what am I gonna do? So now I've just got uh, the drift boat and a friend calls, hey man, we're getting stationed in Germany during the pandemic for several years. We gotta go, I don't wanna put this stuff in storage. It'll just rot. Why don't you come by and pick up one of my boats for me? So I go over to a friend's house and I get a Dave Scadden inflatable and a Watermaster. Like really horrible things had happened to me in that period of time that well, that's not for this podcast and and i'm gifted these boats and a gift of a boat is a gift of fishing and fishing is is life fly fishing is life and it was just like the sun opened up on me and i felt this warmth and glory for once in in like a year and a half and i and i haven't taken the, the dave scadden out uh, that was the boat that i went through the tunnel with at gravelly point it was uh the owner of dave scadden boats so that boat's different than the one I went out on. But I've got the Watermaster. Watermaster apparently revolutionized steelhead fishing. It's a single person inflatable frameless raft. It is the hybrid to me of the belly boat, the canoe, the kayak, and the water skeeter to me. That it's like this frameless, it is easy to store, it is durable, it can take a beating, it packs up easily, it puts together easily and it's fun to fish out of boat. Bingo. I'm like, oh, and I do that float with Misty on it and it was just brilliant. Smallmouth fishing, drifting down, you know, get to some slow spots. You got to row. When it's fast water, I can just put my feet up and go with the current. I've done the Salmon River with it. I've taken it out on other lakes. It goes anywhere I want. If I still had my Miata, I would be able to take the Watermaster with me. It is the coolest. And you know I've got stress about my drift boat. I did a whole podcast about drift boats and trailers. So it's really cool to have a boat that is that easy to take like down quarry stairs from the backseat of your car and then back up when you're done. Places that don't have ramps, places you can hike into, places you can travel to. I remember when the first time uh, I saw Instagram, somebody had taken like a on their back to Scotland and there's a picture of them uh, in an airport. It was awesome. Like that's a pretty cool boat. Uh, and then we're gonna take a little step back now to Somerset and there's this guy named Brandon and Brandon works for Flycraft and he's got this inflatable drift boat with a frame and oars and the storage and these TVs playing behind them and they're dragging them down dirt roads behind ATVs and dropping them off bridges and then there's someone's got it standing up in it and they're hooked into a sailfish in the Stia Cortez while someone's using an outboard behind them and I'm thinking this is the coolest boat I've ever seen my Stealthcraft ATB number one coolest boat I've ever seen this thing was like a, a different organism altogether I'd never seen anything like this I know that there are two people other inflatable boats but somehow this one and my brain, it was love at first sight. And the last time I did an interview with Brandon up there, I was laying down in the back of the boat with the flu Sunday morning, the day or the morning after the fermented shark eating contest. Everyone's got the flu and the floor of his boat, the inflatable is super cold against the cement floor. And that's all I wanted to do was lay down there and just absorb that cold. 
everyone had the flu that that should have given us a heads up to like pandemics coming everyone's at this event shaking hands and spreading the same disease flu that everyone else is going around yet we're still doing it and now we're three years after the pandemic and people still want to shake hands like did you not learn anything so now i'm at these somerset shows and I talk to Brandon and I interview him every time because it's just one of the coolest things I've ever seen. And then this year, 2023, came the opportunity to get a fly craft. And I did not pass up the opportunity. And as I look out my kitchen door from here, I'm looking at my 99 horsepower Mercury and my stealth craft's a little upset because I'm cheating on it. I got myself a fly craft boat now and it is remarkable. I love it. I'm not like Pee Wee Herman. I'm not marrying it. Pee Wee, you know, RIP. He loved fruit salad and he married it. I love my Traeger and I love my drift boat and now I love my Flycraft. I love my Watermaster too, but it doesn't have all the features. If I want to go to bigger water, I'm going to take the Flycraft. If I want to take other people with me, I'm going to take the Flycraft. If I'm going to camp overnight, in a place where I don't know if there's gonna have boat ramps or lots of rocks, I'm gonna take my fly craft. I wanna go fish roaches run this fall for stripers, I'm gonna take my fly craft. I want to uh, wait for some rains to come and fish Kelly's Ford to Fredericksburg, I'm gonna take my fly craft. Um, can't get it down to the quarry. Probably not gonna do the Salmon River with it because last year I learned I could float all day and not find fish or stay in the parking lot and catch all the fish. And I'm curious as to what opportunities life is going to present to myself. Got a little more time now with the kid in school. We got snakehead lakes all around me. Some of them do and don't have boat ramps. Some of them are just parking lots. There's all sorts of lakes around here where I grew up in Reston, Throw, and Ann, and Fairfax, and Newport that don't have ramps. And I can take this boat to them now. And I just think it's awesome. My evolution went to sitting in the water like a baby in floaties where my toes would be dangling in the thermocline freezing getting all sorts of calf and ankle cramps to sitting in a rusty boat that i'm pissed off at because i just lost an hour of fishing trying to put it together and i inhaled 438 midges now because every time i move along the shores of spinny mountain reservoir thousands of midges come up into the air and the canoe was awesome, but I can't always move it myself. And I've also been in the canoe during the earthquake 12 years ago. That was pretty wild. Um, so yeah, this is the hybrid. This is the evolution of what I think the best fly fishing craft is. And, and I'm not sure if Flycraft invented this. There are several other makes and models very similar, but I always wanted the Flycraft. And when that opportunity presented itself to me, I jumped on it like a Corey smallmouth on a scorpion bug, if you know what I'm saying. So I, I'm gonna try and finish off this summer and fall. Misty and I were just texting. We're gonna try and float the Shenandoah next week. Um, I really wanna find carp and sight cast of them from this boat. I want to have a cooler full of sandwiches and Arnold Palmer's and maybe a gin and tonic on the back of the boat with a stereo and maybe some camping gear and just float down. I don't know what it's going to do for me, but um, this is the adventurous life I want to live. And I got something to help me with it now. I think all we need now is an RV. So if you uh, want to go in an RV with me locally, 
Let's start talking about that. And that's my life in boats. I didn't talk about paddle boarding. I've never been on a paddle board. I don't know. Maybe I would love it, but I'm more of the raft dude. Um, I've done an inflatable kayak once. Uh, that was weird. I didn't like it. When I sit in a kayak, my legs go numb. I did, forgot to mention that. That's why I never liked sitting out of my kayak. It's hard to land a pretty big fish when you're in a kayak. I'm not one of those decked out kayak people. I just had like a sling pack and an eight weight when I would go out. I don't have all the crazy things you see on YouTube. It's pretty sweet. And like I said, nowadays you go everywhere and there's paddle boarders and in kayakers and personal watercraft people everywhere. Honestly, I like Burke Lake more because there's only angling boats. There's no recreational people. Paddle boarders, you get in my way. But I still love y'all anyway because you're out on the water. Wear your life jackets. Hopefully, we've got two interviews coming up next. I am going to make some caramelized peppers right now because, as I said, it's barely rained. I told you if you came by to pick up flies, you get a zucchini because I planted 16 zucchini plants. It's August 21, and I've not seen a single zucchini this year. I got more peppers than I know what to do with, and the squash is starting to come in. We've gotten eight tomatoes, maybe, and two acorn squash all summer. So that's it for me. Keep your fingers crossed for rain. Tide of Potomac Fly Rotters beer ties are going to be the second Monday of each month. That is the day after Casting Church. We're going to start planning the steelhead trip up to the Salmon River probably the second week of November. That's going to be around the 10th. So if you want to join in on that and have some shenanigans, meet up to eat, fish, net, tie flies, whatever, let's do that. And uh, Colton, hopefully you got to where you needed to be at work today. And I'm glad you all got to experience the kid because um, I was not expecting him to call and not, let alone call during recording. This was supposed to be a 30-minute podcast. Uh, I went a little overboard. If you want to support the podcast, just go to robsnowwhite.com, click Etsy, or go to the Fly Fishing Consultant link. On Etsy, you can buy some of the craziest flies you've ever seen. The worms are there. That's the standard go-to this time of year. And once steelhead fever bites me, it's going to be, um, my Etsy store is going to be full of some really cool, unique steelhead flies. So thank you for downloading. Thanks for listening. Please check out Waypoint TV. Please follow Waypoint TV podcasts, all the hunting and fishing shows that you want to watch on demand with podcasts like this one. Thank you for downloading. Yes, my last name really is Rob Snow White. And now I am going to go enjoy my evening. I'm going to do a rain dance and I'm going to tie some flies. Have a great one, everybody. Fly fishing is life. And Paul, thanks for listening to the end last time. Let's go out on the new boat. Thank you for joining us for the Fly Fishing Consultant Podcast. For more information or to contact Rob, please go to www.robsnowwhite.com. podcast is brought to you by Freestone Productions at freestoneproductions.com. Through the blackwater bayous and in the dark Louisiana night floats a duck camp alive with the sounds of swamp pop and the smells of Cajun cooking. 
Mississippi Delta in Venice to the Cajun prairies of the Southwest, me and the Duck Camp Dinners crew will be hunting and eating it all. This is Duck Camp Dinner. Join me, Chef Jean-Paul Bourgeois, and the whole crew every Monday at 8 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV. One of the most legendary shows in the outdoors is on Waypoint TV. Don't miss Primo's Truth About Hunting, Wednesday nights at 7 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment. Don't miss Mondays with Into the Blue, brought to you by Academy Sports and Outdoors, every Monday night from 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment.